There's an image in front of you there. It's a picture of a big odometer that is uh, frozen in that turnover moment between 2012 and 2013. And that's where we find ourselves today. Uh, and with about 36 hours uh, left in uh, 2012, I'd like to talk to you about your mileage. Uh, because even though the odometer changes to 2013 for everyone, uh, your mileage will vary. For instance, your mileage varies uh, with regard to how much time you've actually spent on the road of life. If you're under 18, then you're just starting on your journey and you probably have a lot of miles ahead. On the other hand, some of us are nearing the end of our journey in life. Uh, you've driven many, many miles, and it's just a reality that you don't have too many clicks left on the big odometer. It just might be that 2013 will be the end of the road for you. And this is, of course, true for any of us. Uh, you don't know how many miles uh, you'll be given in this life. It's different for everyone. When it comes to physical lifespan, your mileage will vary. But there's also another way in which mileage varies from person to person. Spiritually speaking, uh, we all go various distances on the road with Jesus. Jesus says that everyone who follows him must follow him on the narrow road. And on that narrow road, your mileage will vary. There are some people listening to me, and you just <clears throat> started following Jesus this year. And already you've gone many miles on the narrow road. But there are also people listening to me right now who have known Jesus for many, many decades. But you haven't gone very far with Jesus at all. When it comes to following Jesus, your mileage will vary. The Bible teaches that in some ways you get to decide how far you go with Jesus. When it comes to your physical lifespan, your mileage will vary and you have very little to say about it. But when it comes to your spiritual journey with Jesus, you get to decide your mileage. You can choose to clock a mileage that pleases God so much that he wants to reward you. Or you can choose something much less. Your mileage will vary. And to a large extent, it is up to you. And this is not my idea. This is what the Apostle Paul says in a fascinating image that he supplies in 1 Corinthians. Would you please turn in your Bible to 1 Corinthians chapter 9, beginning with verse 24. Uh, in this letter to the Grecian city of Corinth, Paul alludes to the Olympic Games that Corinth was famous for in the ancient world. Uh, Corinth's version of the Olympics was called the Isthmian Games. And every year uh, they were... Um, a focus of the attention of the ancient world in weeks of competition. There were sprints, there were marathon running events, there was boxing, and all the events were performed in the nude. 
which is why ice hockey was not a very uh, popular event. Uh, anyway, thinking of spiritual mileage and the Isthmian games, the Apostle Paul writes this in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 24. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one gets the prize? Run in such a way as to get the prize. Everyone who competes in the games goes into strict training. They do it to get a crown that will not last. But we do it to get a crown that will last forever. Therefore, I do not run like someone running aimlessly. I do not fight like a boxer beating the air. No, I strike a blow to my body and make it my slave so that after I have preached to others, I myself will not be disqualified for the prize. When it comes to your physical lifespan, you don't have a say in how far you go. But Paul says that when it comes to your spiritual race, you get to decide your mileage. And Paul uses the games of Corinth to teach that mileage varies in believers based on believers' desire for the prize. What is the prize? Well, this goes back to the metaphor of the Isthmian games. Uh, we know that in, the, in Corinth that uh, it was a little bit similar to the uh, Olympic Games today. The Isthmian Games were like the Olympic Games today and where uh, winning athletes would be placed on a platform and a judge would present them with a prize. Now today, of course, the athletes are given medals to wear around their necks. Uh, but the Isthmian uh, athletes didn't get medals. Uh, they were given a crown. Uh, sometimes the crown was made of laurel leaves, but most often it was made of a wilted celery stalk that was uh, formed into a small wreath. And when the winning athlete uh, finished the race, uh, he stood on the platform and the judge of the games would uh, place the wreath on the winner's head. And Paul uses this metaphor to teach that there is an award ceremony for every believer who crosses that threshold from this world to the next world. There is an award ceremony for every believer who enters Jesus, entered eternity and sees Jesus face to face. Just like the Isthmian athlete uh, gets a crown, those who run to please Jesus in this world will receive from him a crown in the next world. Uh, but Paul's main emphasis, notice, is how no one gets a gold medal by accident. In verse 25, Paul explains that Every elite athlete wins by dedicating himself to training. So the only way to receive a crown from Jesus is by making it an intentional goal in my life. This is what Paul is saying in verses 26 and 27. Paul proclaims, just like an Olympic athlete dedicates himself to a training program, I am intentional, Paul says. I'm intentional about winning the prize, that, so much so that I set up for myself spiritual goals to ensure that I'm getting stronger and better in my walk with Jesus. 
And this is what I'd like us to think about today. I'd like us to think about some spiritual goals, some spiritual goals that I am setting for myself and some goals that you can set at, here at the end of 2012 that will increase your spiritual mileage in 2013 toward that great day uh, in uh, seeing Jesus face to face. But before I, I suggest some spiritual goals for 2013, let me just say a couple of things to prevent confusion. All right? uh, the first I, thing I want to say is that uh, Paul's desire here to win the prize of Jesus' approval is not a desire to earn salvation. Uh, Paul and the entire New Testament is very clear that there is only one way to be saved from uh, hell and God's punishment for sin. And that one way is to believe in Jesus and to apply personally his death and what he did on the cross to our debt of sin and to receive the gift of God's forgiveness and the filling of his Holy Spirit. So when Paul talks about standing before Jesus in eternity and receiving a prize, the prize is not salvation because no one earns salvation. The prize is the reward of Jesus' approval. According to Paul, Jesus will shower rewards of, appro of approval uh, to varying degrees on varying believers. Your mileage will vary. But this leads to another potential confusion I want to avoid here. No one should take this prize teaching as an occasion for uh, feelings of guilt or shame or inadequacy. This teaching about the prize is supposed to be extremely good news, um, not a downer. Uh, Paul is writing about the prize to inspire believers like you to keep on growing. Because doing your best in this life will culminate in the best day of your life. The best day of your life will be the day you stand before Jesus and receive the crown of his love and approval. In the book of Revelation, uh, we're told that when we get to heaven, um, God will wipe away every tear of every believer's eye. And I think one of the reasons there will be tears in heaven for God to wipe away is because when you receive God's approval, when you see Jesus face to face, you will weep for joy as you receive what your soul secretly craves the most in this life. Here on earth, the thing that you secretly crave the most is approval from your earthly father or mother. Um, I know this because this is something that everyone is born with. We know this. You have an inborn craving to have your earthly father look you in the eyes and say, I am so proud you are my child. I love you and I approve of you. But you may never uh, hear that on a, on a human level. But 
when you are born again in Jesus, you're given a new inborn craving to receive your heavenly Father's approval. And this longing starts to be fulfilled the moment you become God's child through faith in Jesus. But this craving will be fully satisfied when you stand before Jesus and your heavenly Father says of you, I am so proud you are my child. You are the child I love and I completely approve of you. Not only will this be the best day of your life, this crowning approval will rest upon you for all eternity. And it will change your whole eternity. Uh, Paul says that the ancient Isthmian athletes uh, received a wreath of celery. Uh, celery. Nice gesture, I think. Uh, but it doesn't last very long. It's, uh, it's basically a, you know, a glorified tossed salad. Uh, and so it doesn't last very long. Uh, but in verse 25, Paul says that the spiritual crown of God's love and approval is a prize that will last forever and ever. So if you know Jesus, your soul deeply desires this prize. I know you want this prize because when God fills you with His Spirit as His child, He fills you with a desire to please Him. So let's talk about how to make 2013 a prize-winning year. Let's talk about three spiritual goals that you can set in 2013 to increase your spiritual mileage. Uh, spiritual goal number one is do good in secret. In Matthew chapter 6, Jesus said, Don't just pray in public to impress people. Then people praise is your reward. Instead, pray to God in secret, where God will reward you. Don't be generous just to be seen by others. Then people praise is your reward. Instead, give in a way that only you and God know about then God will reward you. So, to make 2013 a prize-winning year, make it your spiritual goal this year to do things that only you and God know about. Good things. Paul says, just like an athlete uh, trains to increase physical mileage, say in a marathon, I am training, Paul says, to increase my spiritual mileage. And the training that Paul has in mind is removing selfish motivations. Now, we know this because of what Paul says in verse 27. He says, I strike a blow to my body to make it my slave. Now, the phrase in Greek means, I give my flesh a knockout punch. I give my self-centered nature a knockout punch. It is my self-centered nature that makes me want to please people as a first priority and not please God as my first priority. And the only way that I can win the prize of God's approval is to knock out my self-centered flesh. 
And Jesus said the best way to gain this kind of spiritual reward, the best way to knock out my selfish motives is to do good in secret. A while back, I read a a book entitled Under the Overpass. It's a book written by a guy who uh, left his comfortable suburban life and went undercover as a homeless person. For six months, he slept on the street, ate thrown out food, uh, begged for loose change, and lived with the homeless in six different cities. When you read this book, you find out that uh, only a fraction of the homeless are drug addicts. Uh, Most of our nation's homeless are homeless for reasons that are beyond their control or beyond their choice. Uh, And over his six months in six cities, the author found only one person who as an individual reached out to the homeless. Uh, The author was was with a group of homeless in uh, Golden Gate uh, Park in San Francisco. Uh, And the Golden Gate homeless told the author about a man who came as an individual, not part of a a group of uh, people serving through a rescue mission or something, but just an individual who came to them several times a week to bring them food, pizza, hamburgers, other, other food items. Well, what's his name? The author wanted to know. Nobody knew. Uh, The homeless said, we just call him the Jesus guy. The next evening, a man came walking into the Golden Gate Park uh, carrying boxes of hot pizza. And the author went to him and said, hey, what's your name? And why are you coming? And he said, hey, my name isn't important. Uh, I just figured these people uh, are hungry and everybody loves pizza, right? And the author kept pressing and said, come on, tell me your name and the reason you're doing this. And finally he confessed that his name was George. And he said, and here I quote, okay, if you really want to know, I do this because the Bible clearly says that if you see someone hungry, feed them. And these words require actions from all followers of Christ, not just rescue missions. So I'm trying to live my life that way and be pleasing to Jesus. And the author said, George, do you know what they call you here in the Golden Gate Park? And George said, no. He said, they call you the Jesus guy. And the book describes how George just cheered up and said, that's the highest compliment I could ever receive. George is leading a prize-winning life by doing good in secret. The people he serves don't even know his name. He's just the Jesus guy. Can you imagine what your life will be like in 2013 when you become the Jesus guy on your job, the Jesus gal at your school, when you do things to help people and bless people and serve people and pray for people and do it in a way that only you and God know about it? You can even do this at home. I mean, uh, most of our homes, it becomes a competition to prove who is the most put-upon person in the house. Uh, Somebody left the garage door open. Oh, I took care of it. Uh, Nobody shoveled the walk. Oh, I had to do it. What if you made it your spiritual goal to intentionally do good things in secret out of a desire 
to please God. Every good thing you do anonymously will be remembered that day when God says, you know, all those things you did without thanks, well, I thank you. The second spiritual goal uh, for you in, in 2013 is to suffer for standing with Jesus. Uh, in Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says this, Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against uh, you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. So suffering for uh, a stand with Jesus takes many forms. Uh, it might be speaking up about your commitment uh, to Jesus when it would be easier to just stay silent on your job or in your neighborhood. Suffering with Jesus might be resisting temptation when giving in would be so much easier and feel so good. Suffering for Jesus might be following his commands to love your enemies when it would be easier to hate them, to forgive people when it would be easier to hold a grudge, and serve people when it would be easier to just be served. Whenever you do something hard in following Jesus, you're suffering in your stand with him. But more than just doing hard things, standing with Jesus is being who you are as a follower of Christ. I just quoted a moment ago what Jesus said in Matthew 5. Blessed are you when people persecute you because of me, for great is your reward in heaven. Now, let me tell you what he said immediately after that. Jesus said, because you are the salt of the earth and the light of the world. According to Jesus, this is the reason people mistreat and misunderstand you. It's because of who you are. You are salt and light. And salt and light are images of positive influence. In Jesus' day, there was, of course, no refrigeration, and so salt preserved meat and kept it from perishing. Jesus' point is that salt has a positive influence on food, and the influence goes in one direction. Uh, the influence is one way. Uh, salt influences food. Food doesn't influence salt. Nobody says, hmm, what this salt needs is a little more food. Nobody says that. Uh, the same holds true with light. Light has a positive influence on darkness. And the influence is in one direction. Nobody says, oh, it's too light in here. Somebody bring in some dark. No. Light is the influence, and dark is just the absence of that influence. Anyway, Jesus says that he has created you to be a positive influence, like salt on decaying meat or light in a dark place. But you cannot be an influencer in this dark and decaying world if you are being influenced by the dark and decaying world. You can't be a preserving influence in this world if the putrefying force is influencing you. You can't influence the darkness if the darkness has you cowering in fear and doubt. 
That's what Jesus means when he says that salt that is no longer salty is worthless. If I follow the same materialistic, self-centered goals as the culture, if I take the same putrefying attitudes as the culture, I become worthless when it comes to a prize-winning life for God's glory. Now you see the connection between being salt and light and standing with Jesus. The only way that I can win the prize is by being salt and light. And the only way that I can be salt and light is if I courageously choose to suffer for standing with Jesus. So make it your goal in 2013 to stand with Jesus. Stand with Jesus for a positive attitude in your workplace when everyone else is complaining. Stand with Jesus and protect your kids from a toxic youth culture, even when everyone else is allowing their kids to be, have access to movies and TV and music that, and video games that are sick and twisted. Stand with Jesus for kindness and conversation when your friends are cutting someone down. Stand with Jesus for peace instead of gossip and giving instead of greed. You get to choose your pace in the race. Choose a prize-winning pace in 2013 by setting the spiritual goal of expecting to suffer for your stand with Jesus. Make it your spiritual goal to be salt and be light and expect it to be hard. All right, the third spiritual goal for 2013 is to build with eternity in mind. In uh, verse 26, uh, Paul says that he does not run aimlessly or beat the air. In other words, Paul knows that running to win the prize requires a very clear purpose in life. And earlier in uh, Corinthians, Paul explains what his clear purpose is, and it's building his life around eternal values. Uh, referring to the day when a believer comes face to face with Jesus, in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, Paul writes this. If a person builds using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, his work will be shown for what it is on the day he stands before God. His work will be revealed by fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. If he builds with gold, silver, and precious stones, his work will survive the fire. But if he builds with wood, hay, and straw, it will all burn up. If what he builds survives, he receives reward from God. If what he builds is burned up, he will suffer loss. He himself will be saved, but only as one escaping through the flames. So when you stand before Jesus, your reward depends on the extent to which you have built your life around eternal things. Everything you build around eternal values last forever. Everything you build around your selfishness will burn up. Leading a life dedicated to Christ is precious gold. Leading a life dedicated to comfort is worthless straw. Time serving God goes up to eternity. Time washing, uh, watching TV goes up in smoke. Uh, 
Money given to God's work in the church is treasure in heaven. Money spent on yourself burns up with everything else on earth. If you build your life with eternity in mind, your life will result in eternal treasure of God's approval. You will receive the prize, and it will be the best day of your life. Uh, Early in the 20th century, a large ocean liner pulled into uh, New York Harbor. The ship came from Kenya, and thousands of people were on the pier in New York Harbor to welcome a dignitary on board. Uh, A missionary was on the ship. Uh, He was returning to the U.S. after 35 years in Kenya, risking his life to bring God's word to people who would never hear about Jesus otherwise. He was returning after 35 years of providing medical care to thousands of adults and children who would have died otherwise. And although this missionary spent 35 years serving his life, uh, serving his life, serving God, and helping people, he was not the dignitary on the ship. When he looked down from the boat onto the pier, he realized that out of the thousands gathered there, no one was there to meet him. And when he heard the military brass band play, he knew the big welcome was not for him. It was for President Teddy Roosevelt. Teddy Roosevelt was the dignitary on the ship. And unlike the missionary who was returning after 35 years of serving God, Teddy Roosevelt was returning after 35 days shooting big game animals. And the missionary looked at the band and looked at the throngs of people, and the missionary felt sad. And for just a moment, he um, wondered whether he had wasted his life serving God in Kenya. But then, above the noise on the pier, the missionary smiled as he heard a strong but quiet voice speaking five words to his heart. The voice of God said, You are not home yet. By now, that missionary is home. And he has had the best day of his life. And this is what is waiting for you. When you get home and see Jesus face to face, as you make it your spiritual goal to do good in secret, to suffer by standing with Jesus, to live with eternity and build with eternity in mind, you prepare to receive the prize your soul secretly craves more than anything else. In this life, Mileage will vary because you get to choose the pace of your race. Why not set some goals now so that 2013 will be your best year ever for making that first moment with Jesus the best day ever?